This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, February 23rd. I'm Virginia Allen. Former President Donald Trump is facing a litany of legal cases against him, including federal cases and criminal. And today I am sitting down with Kyle Brosnan to dive into these cases and where they stand. Kyle serves as chief counsel for the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. Stay tuned for my conversation with Kyle as we discuss all of Trump's legal cases after this. As conservatives, sometimes it feels like we're constantly on defense against bad ideas, bad philosophy, revisionist history, junk science, and divisive politics. But here's something I've come to understand. When faced with bad ideas, it's not enough to just defend. If we want to save this country, then it's time to go on offense. Conservative principles are ideas that work. Individual responsibility, strong local communities, and belief in the American dream. As a former college professor and current president of the Heritage Foundation, my life's mission is to learn, educate, and take action. My podcast, The Kevin Roberts Show, is my opportunity to share that journey with you. I'll be diving into the critical issues that plague our nation, having deep conversations with high-profile guests, some of whom may surprise you. And I want to ensure freedom for the next generation. Find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so pleased to welcome back to the Daily Signal podcast today, Chief Counsel for the Heritage Foundation's Oversight Project, Kyle Bosnan. Kyle, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on. So we are talking today about the cases that former President Donald Trump is facing. We're looking right now at about six cases that are still in the works, correct? Yeah, give or take. Give six, or take. six legal actions involving the former president okay. that, are, that are in the news and could have an effect on the election this year. And how many of these are federal cases? So there's two federal cases, both of which are stemming from the special counsel, Jack Smith, at okay. the Justice Department. One is in Washington, D.C., and another is based in Florida. Okay. Okay, great. So we're going to talk through just big picture where these stand. We're going to get to Jack Smith here in a second and those cases. I want to start, we'll we'll start maybe with, with the Northeast and we'll work our way down the coastline. So let's start in New York where we have seen Trump face several cases out of the state of New York, out of Manhattan. A judge just ordered Trump to pay $354 million in a civil fraud case. This is a case that involves allegations that Trump inflated the value of of his property holdings in order to receive more favorable loans. Uh, This case was brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. That fine, significant hefty fine, over $350 million. Your reaction to that that ruling, that decision, that fine? Yeah, so I think this is a really prime example of sort of how you could weaponize law enforcement and how the left has done that against President Trump. Uh, Letitia James ran for attorney general of New York basically on a platform that she was going to get Trump, and she acted upon a campaign promise. This $354 million fine is... Aggressive, to put it mildly. Um, some legal scholars have said it's unconscionable, uh, abusive. Um, you know, the, the judge found fraud in this case, but there were no victims here. Uh, all of the loans that the president took out were paid back in full. There were no defaults. And the forms that the president had submitted to the bank cautioned the banks to do their own due diligence before giving him the loan. And so, you know, there's a it's a 
quirk in the New York fraud law that you don't actually need a victim that I think the attorney general took advantage of. The judge has been alleged to be a partisan in this. Um, Trump's team recently filed a motion to try and stay or prevent execution of the ruling because the attorney general has threatened to seize Trump's assets, including Trump Tower, on this. Um, so I, I expect this to be appealed. I don't think this is the end, but the fine is aggressive and a, an abuse of power, frankly. Yeah. Well, we've seen that Trump says he will appeal it. So we'll be watching that to see what shakes out there. Ongoing case that we have gotten some closure on, one of the cases out of Manhattan involved sexual assault and defamation suits brought by writer Eugene Carroll against Trump. This case concluded in January when a judge ordered Trump to pay $80 million. That was kind of the, the second decision in the process of that case. Then we have a second Manhattan case that involves allegations over hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. This case, I believe, is set to go to trial at the end of March, March 25th. Do we know how long that trial might last, what this case is going to look like as it progresses? Right. So the trial date has been set for March 25th. This is a case brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg against Donald Trump, stemming from about $130,000 in hush money payments he made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during the 2016 election. So there are 34 felony counts here. Uh, This is the first case to go to trial where President Trump has been charged with a felony. But these charges are basically the same charge of falsifying business records 34 times. Bragg has an uphill. Well, with a New York jury, you never know. But from a legal standpoint, I think Bragg has an uphill battle here considering his star witness is going to be Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, who has gone to federal prison for tax evasion and other crimes that reflect upon his character, to put it, put it mildly. And, you know, the intricacies or the weakness of this case that Mr. Bragg is bringing is that this crime is typically charged as a misdemeanor, but it can only be elevated to a felony if it is done to conceal another crime. Okay. The interesting part of this indictment is that Bragg does not allege another crime in the indictment here. And so we assume that the crimes that they're alleging are campaign finance violations because you know, he thinks you know the, the theory is that President Trump generated a benefit for his 2016 presidential campaign by concealing the affair with Ms. Daniels. But that's a federal crime. And so this is a really untested legal theory by a left-wing district attorney to sort of weaponize the, the justice system as we've seen you know, the attorney general of New York do. We see a local district attorney doing this here in New York. We'll get to the Georgia one uh, later as well. But this is really the first time that, that the president now put on trial for felony charges here and could, of course, have an impact on the 2024 election. Any predictions in that case, just given what we've seen out of Manhattan in the past, is this going to be a court that looks on Trump favorably or not? Uh, probably not. I think I think it's going to be difficult for the president to get a, a fair jury, um, just based on you know the the voting the voting block of Manhattan, you know, voters and and you know some of their political leanings, and mm-hmm. so that remains to be seen. You know, jury selection should be interesting, yeah, to, sure. to, to put it mildly. Sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hop down to Georgia as we move, continue to move down the East Coast. Well, we'll end with going west to Colorado, but uh, let's stay on the coast right now. So in Georgia, you have an election election interference case that has been brought against Trump. And then we also have one at the federal level. But explain what is happening in Georgia and what the differences are between the case in Georgia and then the federal uh, election interference case. Sure. So the Georgia 
case is brought by the district attorney based in Atlanta, uh, Fonnie Willis, and she's alleging a violation of the Georgia RICO statute, which is the racketeer, basically a racketeering statute. It's loosely based off the federal statute, which was written to basically go after the mob, you know, decades ago. There were some fireworks recently this week when revelations came to light about Ms. Willis's having a relationship with the special attorney she brought on to help prosecute this case, Nathan Wade. Mr. Wade was paid about $728,000 in taxpayer dollars uh, to prosecute this case against President Trump. It revealed they had a romantic relationship, the two of them. Uh, there was an evidentiary hearing as to whether or not a, there was a conflict of interest last week. Mr. Wade and District Attorney Willis testified, and, and one witness in that hearing said that Wade and Willis had their romantic relationship before he started working mm-hmm. on the Trump case. Both Wade and Willis have testified that their relationship began after he started. So you have conflicting testimony about the nature of the relationship here. And if you have an elected official in Fannie Willis directing three quarters of a million dollars to her paramour, that creates the at least the illusion of a conflict of interest, if not an outright conflict of interest. And this is significant because they discussed ways that Ms. Willis uh, reimbursed Mr. Wade for, for trips and vacations they took, you know, over $10,000 worth of benefits, you know, vacations, dinners, stuff like that. And she said she paid him in cash out of a stash she had in her home. Hmm. So you couldn't even track those transactions to see if they were actually reimbursed or follow the money to actually dig down on the you know, apparent conflict you have here. Mm-hmm. And this is significant because if if Fannie Willis is found to you know have a conflict of interest here, her entire office can be disqualified from the case. Wow. And it can be transferred to a new office, a new district attorney, one that is not as rapidly partisan as her office is. And this can potentially lead to the whole case being thrown out if, you know, another office, another team of lawyers in Georgia looks at the case and says, hey, this evidence is really weak here. We don't think we get a conviction. We have a different legal view than Willis's office. We're going to drop the case. You know, there's a whole litany of options here. But there were certainly a lot of fireworks this past week down in Atlanta. The judge has an important decision to make as to whether or not Ms. Willis and her team can continue prosecuting this case. And whether the judge decides that there is a conflict, will kind of decide the next steps and where the Georgia case goes. Has the judge said when he will make that decision? I don't believe so. I I believe it's imminent. Could be, you know, this week or any day now. Okay. Okay. And then on kind of shifting gears to a federal side, let's go ahead and talk about those federal cases Trump is facing. Sure. So so Jack Smith is a special counsel appointed by the Justice Department, and he's brought two cases against President Trump, one in D.C. stemming from the January 6th riots and one in Florida stemming from allegations that the president mishandled classified information in his Mar-a-Lago home. So we'll start in D.C. Special counsel Smith has charged President Trump with a series of crimes, including some of which that were passed after the Civil War to basically go after members of the Ku Klux Klan for preventing African-Americans from voting during Reconstruction. So it's a really... Kooky legal theory, in my mm-hmm. view. And you could tell that his goal in this entire procedure has been to put Trump on trial in front of a D.C. jury before the election. So a trial date was originally set for March 4th, you know, which is the day before the Super Tuesday primaries. And it's been postponed because the president has basically brought two legal challenges, two legal issues that need to be resolved before he could be tried. The first is that President Trump argues that he is immune from prosecution when he was acting on the perimeter of his official duties as president. And the second is that he can't be prosecuted. His, his, he's arguing that he can't be prosecuted for charges for you know events stemming from events that he was already already impeached by the House of Representatives and acquitted by the Senate for. Mm-hmm. So the trial judge, Judge Chutkin, in this case, ruled against the president. 
He appealed to the D.C. Circuit, who have also rejected those claims. And so last week or about 10 days ago at this point, President Trump filed an emergency application to the Supreme Court asking the justices to basically stay the ruling of the D.C. Circuit and let the appellate process play out while we figure out what the answer is to this immunity claim. Jack Smith has opposed that. So the court can rule, the Supreme Court can rule any day now, could okay. rule today, uh, basically, and, and what they will do will determine what the, what the next steps are. So they can, you know, something as simple as just let the lower court ruling stand while the appeals process plays out. They could take the case in full where they have, you know, briefing and arguing and they'll write this opinion, you know, potentially by June or or, or they could take a number of issues. So the, the trial date for the D.C., Special counsel case is very much in flux, kind of depending on what the Supreme Court does and how they rule will kind of determine what the next steps are in that case. Okay. Okay. Then you have the case involving the second case, which involves the classified documents, correct? Correct. So so he's facing – President Trump's facing about 40 charges relating to his classified uh, – his handling classified documents um, in Mar-a-Lago. A trial date has been set for that for May 20th, but there has been some there's some motions practice that could and some hearings that are scheduled to take place in early March that may push that case back. Okay. And so there's currently a trial date on the books, but but there are some legal maneuverings that can happen to sort of delay that. Okay. Okay. Wow. Before we get to Colorado, from from all these cases that we've just blazed through, there's a lot. Is there one in particular that you're watching most closely or that you think is the most significant for the American people to be watching? I think they all are because they really all together paint a picture of sort of how a weaponized justice system where you have these rogue prosecutors in local jurisdictions in Atlanta and New York and the attorney general of New York I'd throw in there too kind of allocating you know, vast amounts of resources to go after President Trump when that's not really their job. You know, There's a massive crime problem in U.S. cities, particularly in New York City, where you see a, ra- a rash of assaults on police officers. You know, we saw you – know, and they have a huge mi- illegal migrant problem in the city too where you saw you know, a gang of migrants beat up two police officers in, in Times Square in, you know, in public and they're released without bail. So I think Mr. Bragg and, and Ms. Willis have much more – significant problems on their hands with crime in their cities that, you know, going after President Trump. I think, I think you know, Special Counsel Smith has been very aggressive in his uh, prosecutions of Trump. He's got a track record of this. You know, he sort of was the lead prosecutor and former Virginia Governor Bob McDonald on corruption cases where the Supreme Court overruled him 9 nothing. you know, years after the case, but, you know, it ended Governor McDonald's political career because of that. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, questions about his legal theories in both cases, but I think, you know, we are in an election year now. Um, there is polling about how you know these cases come out can will dictate and, and influence how voters you know view this. But you know, there's it's sort of just a series of cases here that illustrate you know the weaponized nature of the justice system in America. Mm. Let's go ahead and talk about Colorado. This is a case that stands to affect literally millions of Americans because so many folks are getting ready on March 5th to go to the polls on Super Tuesday and vote. And the question is, will Trump's name be on the ballot in many states? So in Colorado, you had a group of voters that said under the Constitution, and we can talk about the article in the Constitution they're polling on in a moment here, they said that Trump's name can't be on the ballot because he allegedly took place in an insurrection on January 6th. And so now the, the Supreme Court is considering this. They've taken this up after the Colorado Supreme Court ruled on the case. There's more than 30 other states that have raised similar issues. So, I mean, this stands to affect more than half of the states across the United States. 
Explain, if you would, what this constitutional claim is that's being made from Colorado that they say, no, Trump's name shouldn't be on the ballot that now the Supreme Court's considering. So the 14th Amendment passed or you know, they called them the re- one of the Reconstruction Amendments after the Civil War and it prohibited individuals who engaged in insurrection from holding public office. Basically, the idea was you didn't want a bunch of former Confederates after the Civil War running for Congress and sort of mm-hmm. bringing us back to where we were mm-hmm. you know, in 1860 you know, as the country ripped us off apart and we had the Civil War happen. And so 14th Amendment prohibits uh, individuals who engage in insurrection from holding public office and and – Colorado, uh, you know, determined that that President Trump engaged in insurrection on January sixth, and you know the Secretary of State there and and uh, folks within Colorado, uh, you know, removed him from the ballot. And and you've seen this with other partisan secretaries of states in in, in blue states. You know, most notably the the main Secretary of State is is trying to do the same thing. And so the Supreme Court heard, heard oral argument a few weeks ago, and it's not dispositive based on how the argument goes, but you can kind of get a, a rub on how things are going to go based on how the questioning from the justices comes. And the overwhelming consensus is that Colorado had a very bad day uh, in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, and you know, reading the tea leaves, they are likely to lose this case, probably 9 nothing or 8-1. Or and Trump's name will be on the ballot eventually. But, but the Supreme Court has not yet ruled on that. There is no sort of timetable they could rule at any point on that. But you know, Supreme Court watchers and, and attorneys that kind of observe and watch all our arguments kind of read the tea leaves there. And, um, you know, the justices were very skeptical of Colorado's legal claim here. Yeah. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the points that the justices raised was how can one state determine for the whole nation, because Colorado would set precedent, who can and cannot be on a, a federal ballot, can can run for president, essentially. That's right. And, and also, you know, there was – it's who determines whether somebody engages in insurrection. Hmm. President Trump is impeached for inciting insurrection and the Senate acquitted him. So he's not been found guilty by any tribunal, whether it be a judicial one or even an impeachment proceedings in Congress of anything to do with insurrection. And so, you know, I think I think these, these left-wing groups and these left-wing states have sort of taken the talking point that January 6th was an insurrection and, and sort of have tried to – give it legal weight when it doesn't. And so that was – I think that was one of the big reasons why the justices were so skeptical is that nobody has ruled that Trump engaged in an insurrection except for these you know, secretaries of state and, and, and individual state governments by fiat basically. Mm-hmm. And so you know, there's a lot of due process violations there. And, I think, and you're right. You know, it's, it could affect the way you know, millions of people exercise their right to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, the Supreme Court is considering this right now. They've heard the arguments. We could have a ruling on this literally any day. I think a lot of people, including myself, think, well, they'll likely rule before Super Tuesday, but that's not guaranteed. It could not happen. But obviously, that is the date that will will really impact this case and American voters. So, Kyle, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for being with us. If you want to keep up with the work of Kyle Brosnan and the work of the Heritage Foundation's Oversight Project, you can follow them on X at Oversight PR. That's Oversight PR on X. And you can also check out their work on the Heritage Foundation website, heritage.org. 
Thanks so much for being with us for this interview edition of the Daily Film Podcast. Make sure that you check out our evening top news edition, where every day around 5 p.m. we bring you the top news of the day. Also, take a minute to leave the Daily Signal a five-star rating and review wherever you like to get your podcast. Have a great rest of your Friday. We will see you right back here at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.